What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm your host, Ty Dobbert, coming at you with our first episode of the new year, 2022. Still doing this pod, still talking about the Phillies, despite the fact that we are still in a lockout, Major League Baseball in a lockout. Nonetheless, we have some Phillies talk for you. Having it be our first pod of the new year, we're going to do some 2022 predictions what we think will happen in baseball with the Phillies this upcoming year so as always I'm joined by my co-host Nathan Ackerman we have a special guest with us again today Nathan how are you doing are you ready to get into it I'm excited I'm looking forward to this one uh we're going to dish out some predictions we had some good user comments in our little uh call out asking for some bold takes from the Phillies in 2022 and it'll be a good one yeah, definitely. Like I mentioned before, we have a guest, Destiny Lagardo from Phillies Nation, joining us today. Destiny, how are you doing? Are you ready to get into this episode? Yeah, I'm ready to get into it. And I know it's been seven days, but Happy New Year, guys. Yeah, Happy right. New, New Year, Year to you. Happy New Year to everyone listening. Another year of Phillies baseball. What uh, what more could you ask for? All right. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so... <laughs> Nevertheless, we're going to do our bold takes, some of our predictions. Nathan, why don't you, like you mentioned, we came up with our own, a handful of our own. We asked people on Twitter to reply with some of their predictions. We'll get get into our own. We'll get into those. But Nathan, why don't you start us off with your first prediction for the 2022 year with the Phillies? Get us started and we can break these down a little bit. Okay, I'll start with my boldest prediction, one that Ty said before we started uh, recording the pod was insane. And that is that John Middleton, finally this year, will pay the luxury tax. Now, I know I'm a firm believer that I will believe it when I finally see it. Uh, We've been talking about this for the last however many years. He's not going to do it. He's never going to do it. That's totally valid. However, I do think it's also true that every single time this question has come up, whether it's in the off season, middle of the season, whatever. He's always said something to the effect, whether it's been an excuse or not. He's always said something to the effect of, well, we're not just one or two players away. We're more like four or five players out. And therefore, I'm not going to go all in, quote unquote. It's not really all in, but, you know, from his excuse perspective, I'm not going to go all in on a team that probably can't do much in the postseason regardless. And he's been right. They probably have been four or five players away most of the time. I think this year, they're probably not going to be one guy away. They might be two or three back. And given what just happened with the Braves, given the fact that you just saw them go all in and say, we have a chance to win. We're just going to go for it. And they won. Considering that it's year two with uh, the new front office, theoretically pressuring him to be more aggressive, pay the tax, all those kinds of things, spend more money. And considering the fact that he must realize that the window is kind of not that long with this team. I think this is the year when he's finally like, okay, this is either going to happen or it's not. I think he's going to pay the tax. I don't know when, might be in the middle of the season, but I think at some point he's going to say we're close, maybe not right there, but we're close enough. Uh, we're going to pay the tax and see and see what happens. 
I agree with all the points you made. My only take on this is that I want to wait and see what the luxury tax actually is, because if it goes way up to, let's say, 245 million, which the players want right now, I think they could get in a good offseason where they address all their needs and whatnot. Maybe that's the luxury tax and they go over at the trade deadline if they want a big acquisition. But it is possible that the new CBA brings a much higher ceiling and they don't necessarily need to. If it's relatively close to what it was last year, they definitely need to go over the luxury tax if they want to compete. Um, Their farm system isn't in a place where they could call up guys that could fill holes at an adequate rate. Um, So they need to spend on things like middle relief, which if they had a competent farm system, they would be able to produce more middle relievers. They would be be able to produce a number five starter. And we'll, we'll probably get into that. But for, yeah, you're right. They should go over to luxury tax, but it's a little bit for me too early to say that they should right now, because we don't know what that number actually is. Yeah. Just assuming that it's close to last year, which we do not know. There is no CBA right now. So a lot of this stuff is up in the air, but assuming it is close to last year, I still don't think I'm, I'm still not confident that they would go over that number just based on, based on the things we've seen. They were, yeah, you're right. They were a few players away most of these past years. Um, but still, it's just, they weren't, it's not like they were so, so far off. They've always had pieces, the the high-end talent on this team, um, to compete. And they've been in places around the trade deadline where they're still closer to first place than they've ended up being at the end of the season. That maybe in hindsight, it's like, oh, well, they collapsed. So yeah, it wasn't worth it. Well, maybe you can make the trades that you need to. They don't collapse as hard. So just based on the evidence we've seen, I don't expect them to do it. And definitely not before the season. If it's going to happen, I think it would be in adding to mid- with midseason trades. But even, even in that scenario, I would not be so confident. I would, I would agree with that. It would probably happen during the season if it happens at all. And I agree in principle that like they've been close in years past close enough to where you could reasonably say they should just go for it. But like those teams, and this isn't my perspective, right? This is me trying to assume the team's perspective, which is something that I obviously can't do, but this is where I think that they're coming from is that even if you take the team like last year's team or like the 2019 or 18 or 2020 team, if you put that team in the playoffs, yeah, there's some, there's some truth to the fact that you never know what's going to happen when you get there. The Braves just kind of proved that. But if you look at it objectively and you look at those teams and say, even if they were to squeak in somehow, they probably honestly get boat raced and ran out of the water in the first round of the playoffs. And they don't really have a chance to do anything. And yeah, there's some value to get to reaching the playoffs in the, in the first place and just getting there, you know, to end the playoff drought or whatever the case may be. But I think that's even going to be more true this year to where they're going to say, even if we can't win it all now, there's value in getting there. And there's value in getting this core to that point where they just have to get there once. And then maybe that'll get the ball rolling on some other things. And I also think the team is going to be in a better spot this year uh, to the point where maybe they could actually make something happen in the playoffs. Again, I don't think it'll happen unless they do pay the tax and probably go a significant amount over it. Unless, as you were saying that, you know, it, it, you know, jumps to 245 million or whatever the case might be. But I just think they're going to be in a place where there, there aren't going to be many excuses left. And they're going to be at the point where 
they might be able to make something happen. And even if not, just getting to the to the playoffs at this point, given that it's been 10 years, there's definitely value in that. I think this is a good way to transition to one of my predictions. And I think this is the boldest one I have. And it's that the Phillies are going to win a playoff series in 2022. Now, a lot of people, when they talk about the Phillies and playoffs, it's a matter of getting there and when are they going to get there? But I think what's going to happen with the new CBA is that there is going to be seven teams represented in each league. And the Phillies are going to be that team that sneaks in with 85 wins and they, you know, they get into that first round and somehow they squeak out a victory in that three game series. And then people are going to be like, well, this new playoff format sucks because this under this team that doesn't deserve to be there, the Phillies are there and they just beat one of the best teams in National League, which I don't know who that'll be. Will that be the Giants? Will that be the Dodgers? Will that be the Braves? Will that be the Mets? And uh, the Mets are, I don't know what they're going to be, but I, I think that's, that's how it's going to go. The CBA is going to have seven teams in each league and the Phillies are going to squeak into the playoffs. Cause if you look at the standings this year, if that's like format that the owners want, the seven game format, the Phillies would have made the playoffs. And I don't know how people would feel about that. It's, I don't know if it's good for the game, but it's good for the, for Phillies fans because they made the playoffs. But I think this is a year where they'll have some playoff success. I don't know how fulfilling it'll be, but. My only question is, do we trust the Phillies bullpen in a three-game series or in any postseason series at all? I mean, I think that they might have, you know, they they would, if the playoffs expands to seven teams, I think they would, I mean, you would think that they would be one of the teams in the fold there. We kind of saw, we kind of thought the same thing in 2020, and then they were like team nine out of eight. But assuming that they were able to get there somehow, I think that the starting staff, when you take the top of the rotation guys in the lineup that, you know, they they figured to have this year, given what they have now, plus any offseason guys that they might add to, I think those would be enough to compete. But I don't know. I, I, I always come back to you can't really do much in the postseason without a good bullpen. And like, I I just I don't know if they have the guys there to get it done. Maybe and maybe also you know it's three games two to two to two to three games. You know the smaller the sample size is, the less like I don't know. You really need all those kinds of things, and the less you can or the more you can just kind of squeak by. So maybe it'll be possible, but I don't know. Yeah, the whole sample size argument is kind of why I'm dismissing whether the bullpen can be shaky or not in a three game series. Yeah, it's just a matter and. You know, that's part of the debate of whether this is good for the game or not. It's a lot of luck just, you know, if if the team is hot at some point in October and the bullpen is doing well, then it doesn't really matter if they don't have the guys or not to get through because it's, it's just a, such a short series. Um, I think the bullpen, though, will be better this year. I think Canable will be a stabling presence. They have to get a replacement for Hector Nears because he was that guy that um, – was in so many of the situations with runners on and in a tight spot in the games, but it's, I'm not, I know last year I was one of those people that was like, they're going to win 90 games and this is the year. Um, and I feel like they're in a better spot this year than they were last year. But after what happened the last few years and just getting burned every time, what it seems like, I'm not ready to say like, this is a division winner, but if this, this playoff format, this playoff format with seven teams, they could possibly get in. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it before 2020 expanded playoffs teams get in and they can pull off some upsets. You look at 
the Marlins in 2020. They upset the Cubs um, with, you know, the team that they had. They weren't the best team out there, but they got hot in a 60-game season, and they were able to sneak in, and you never know what's going to happen once you get into the playoffs, especially in a a three-game series kind of format. And I think the other thing, too, is that I don't really see a team in the National League right now that looks unbeatable. Like, and maybe they'll emerge over the course of the season, obviously. But I mean, right now, if you take the top teams in the East, whether it's the Mets and the Braves and then the Brewers in the Central or the Cardinals or whoever you want to say, and then the Dodgers who are losing some some key you know pieces, like all those teams are beatable. Of course, we'll see more unfold over the course of the season. I didn't even mention the Giants. I don't know where I'm at on them. I kind of think that they might be a one-year wonder. But even if they are good, again, we saw that they're beatable in the playoffs, and I think that that'll be the case this year also. I mean, all, like all those teams can definitely fall, and especially in a, a three-game series. So I, I could definitely see it happening. We mentioned before if the Phillies were to get in a playoff series, how would their bullpen hold up? I guess we can take that transition into one of my predictions for the 2022 season. I think Sam Coonrod is going to be one of the breakouts in the Phillies bullpen. I know Destiny had some thoughts about another Phillies bullpen um, member. We can get into that too. But Sam Coonrod, we saw it last year in stretches, especially he was uh, experimenting with a new slider and it looked really good. And then it also got him hurt at one point in the season. So if he can figure out how to throw that uh, and combine that with, you know, his power fastball, I think there's a chance that he's like a really good reliever. I don't know if he's their closer, their setup man, but I think I think he's a good bet to be like a solid middle reliever going into the 2022 season if he can get things figured out. I guess my question with Coonrod and this relates to Brogdon too, like what is a breakout season for them? Like you said, he could be a very good middle reliever, but is a breakout more of, they take this bigger role in the bullpen. And part of that is not really on them. Like Joe Girardi has to trust that they could be in those spots. So do you think Coonrod could pitch himself into these, you know, eighth inning, you know, ninth inning is probably for Knable, but can he pitch himself into, to these spots? Yeah, I, I do think he can. I think we saw it a little bit at points last year and yeah, they were struggling. They had to mix people all throughout the bullpen Uh, You saw with Ranger Suarez moving roles between the bullpen and the rotation. So there was some, some shuffling going on without a doubt, but I think Coonrod can put himself in a position to be somebody who can pitch the seventh inning. He can come in in the sixth inning at times and give you two innings when, when the team needs it. I don't know if it's a lock. I early in his career with San Francisco, he has struggled. He was, solid but shaky at times with the Phillies but I think I think I trust this stuff that he has that he can be somebody who figures it out um I know when they traded when they traded Carson Ragsdale for him people were kind of questioning why they traded like a high draft pick from just the year before for somebody who has never really been a contributor in the majors before but I think it might be a a gamble that works out I think about the Coonrod stuff. Also, I just, I, with him, I look at his pure stuff and you look at his stuff and he's throwing a hundred sometimes with the nasty slider. It just jumps off the map. And that was kind of what they were doing, taking a guy who 
has the stuff, throws hard, which is a, you know, a sure change in, you know, approach to how they were signing bullpen guys in the past, uh, rather than the soft tossing guys who could really throw strikes, which is great. Um, but, you know, taking those guys with the stuff and just seeing what they can do with them. And I think you saw in flashes last year that he could be that guy. I want to touch on Connor Brogdon for a second, too, because last year he had an elbow problem. He had a groin strain and he had a self-inflicted COVID thing. And even with that, he still had a 350, 343 uh, ERA on the season. And Destiny, it was you, right, tweeted out the uh, stat about the Giants game. If you take out that game where he allowed two three-run homers, it would have been 253. And, like, that's a breakout season right there. And I think another key for him is taking that cut fastball that he throws and just firing it right into the sun. I mean, it just it, it didn't work. When you have a guy who's throwing 97 and then changing speeds on guys and throwing 85 with that nasty changeup, when you throw in a you know, third pitch that's like 92 to 93, it doesn't really move all that much. He doesn't have great command of it. That kind of hurt him at many points last year. So I think if he can go away from that and just use that two-pitch mix that I think could actually be pretty solid, uh, I could definitely see him being that breakout kind of guy. All-star, too. Yeah, I guess I'll go into my second prediction, then we could go back to Nathan. But I think Connor Brogdon, like kind of how Ty sees Sam Kurat, I think Connor Brogdon is going to have a quote-unquote breakout year. And to me, that is him pitching himself into a setup role for the Phillies. And by the end of the year, like I, I think if Knebel stays healthy, he's going to stay the closer, and at times he might not. So other guys like Brogdon or whoever else they sign might have to be the closer. But I think at the end of this season, we're going to survey what the Phillies' bullpen looks like in 2023, and we're going to say that Connor Brogdon is the closer going forward. Um, instead of the Phillies going out and either re-signing Corey Knable or signing another guy. Um, yeah, I think it seemed like Brogdon, there were times where they needed him in those like tight spots just because of Joe Girardi's bullpen rules, and he preferred to use like Bradley, Neris, and Alvarado. But he did pitch in those spots, and I I looked it up. It, the sample size is really small, but out of – Alvarado, Bradley, and Coonrod, he did the best in high leverage situations last year. Um, and I think what happened was that it was his first year and Joe Girardi wanted to protect him a little bit. So he wasn't used as often as probably they they should have been doing. And I maybe Joe Girardi's right because he did have some of the injury issues, but you know, with another year under his belt, and he's a young guy relative to major league experience, but he's 27, or he's gonna turn 27 this year. Um, so I think this is the time for him to really step up in a big role for the Phillies bullpen. Um, if you remember that Atlanta series, he looked disgusting when he came back from his groin injury and then he went back on the IL. Um, and there were just times where his changeup just looked disgusting. And, you know, the cutter, I, I do agree that it should be a, you know, fastball changeup. He should be that kind of pitcher, but the cutter is a good third pitch for him to mix in. So, I think Brogdon's the guy to look out. He was a little underrated this year um, just because it just seemed like he was there and he wasn't a prominent guy in the bullpen. But, you know, I think 2022 uh, 2022 is going to be a big year for Brogdon. You think back to 2020 when the Phillies bullpen was one of the worst of all time, like literally, and down the stretch, they're competing for a playoff spot, I think you think back now and it's like, oh, the 2020 Phillies were terrible. If they win on the last game of the season, they make it into the playoffs. It was expanded, but uh, they were 
relying on Brogdon at the end of the year to get big outs because nobody could get outs and he came up and he looked pretty good. So yeah, I don't think that's a, a stretch either. I think, I think Brogdon's a pretty solid reliever. Um, going back to my, my Coonrod prediction could set, uh, could Sam Coonrod's 2022 season be the best season of any Phillies reliever to wear number 54. Do you think, could he do it? Could he beat out Brad Lidge? <laughs> no, nobody's, nobody's going to be perfect ever again. No, probably not. Probably not. But I think Sam, here's, here's the take. Sam Coonrod could have a better Phillies career than Brad Lidge. Uh, in see, theory. I think that 2008 season is, is carrying a lot of weight. So yeah, he's going to need is. some memorable playoff moment to go with it. I think he's what, if, if you're going to have, if you're going to have one of these Phillies, all right, so with Naris leaving, um, and you think of like a guy who could have a playoff moment that you really remember out of the bullpen, I think it's Coonrod. You think of some of like the celebrations he pulled out last season. It would have been Naris, but they obviously didn't keep him around. But if somebody's going to have like a big moment where they they get really amped up, it'd be Coonrod or Avarado, one of those two guys. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think he probably yeah. won't match Brad Lidge's two thousand eight, but. You never know. Well, I mean, if you're talking about, I mean, okay, better Phillies career, it, as much weight as you put into 2008, are you putting equal weight into 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 2009? Because in that case, like, are you looking yeah, at, not? yeah, are are you looking at like overall numbers as a whole, or are you looking at like significance to the team and the franchise? Because in that regard, he's probably not going to go 48 for 48 and win a World Series. But if you're looking at overall numbers, like, it's possible. It's up to interpretation. I like it. All right. Do we want to get into the next one? Anybody have another another bold prediction to, to go with here? I guess I can go along similar pitching lines. Well, not similar pitching lines because I'm talking about the starting staff now. But I think the starting rotation is going to struggle. Uh, I just think there are some question marks, even if they're not huge ones, with pretty much all of the guys in that starting staff. Like Wheeler threw a ton of innings last year. You don't know what you're going to get out of Aaron Nola. Ranger Suarez will probably take some natural steps back. The question is how big of a step back is that going to be? And even if it's a pretty significant one, he could still be pretty solid there. Zach Eflin always has some injury uh, question marks. And then Kyle Gibson, I'm not fully in on Kyle Gibson to say the least. Um, And I think even if they're okay from like a statistical standpoint, I think they're going to wish that they had more depth there just when you consider the injury history with a lot of those guys and you consider the workload from last year, I think they're going to want more than like plugging in Bailey falter. If somebody goes down or like starting the season or whatever the case might be there. So either the staff's not going to be good, like from a numerical standpoint, or at least they're going to wish that they had more depth there. I think that's, that's probably going to be a major area of concern that they're going to want to address in the middle of the season. Maybe that's what pushes them over the luxury tax. If I'm right, that they end up going over it. Uh, But I think it's interesting because that's probably seen as one of the biggest strengths of the team right now. And even if like, there are still some depth question marks there now, it's like, okay, if they're not going to spend all this money and they only have, they have so many holes to fill, you can only, you know, throw it around in so many different places. So they're probably not going to do a whole lot there in the off season. I think it's going to come back to bite them. 
Yeah. So when you asked Joe Girardi about his concerns on the 2021 season and pitcher workload, he would always say, I'm worried about 2022. Um, and I'm worried about Zach Wheeler's workload because he went way over 200 innings. So from, you know, you can look at the starting rotation and say it's pretty solid with what they have already. I'm worried about some of those guys missing time to injury, especially Zach Wheeler. Um Ranger Suarez, just because his innings workload went way up last year. So they're going to need to um, monitor that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've I've said this before. I said it on the space that they need to get another starter to kind of ease the worry of not having enough innings to cover. I think Tyler Anderson's a good option. Um, probably, I would say he gets like 8 or $10 million for a year, but um it just seems like they lack a little bit of depth and there's always that one spot that they think either looks adequate or fine. And it turns out it comes back to bite them at some point in the year. And that's probably going to be the starting rotation if they don't sign somebody else or if somebody else in the farm system doesn't, um, doesn't step up. Like if falter is not good enough to occupy that number five spot, it's, it's not going to be good, especially if Eflin's um, Eflin's out for a month or so. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think relying on the guys they have in-house right now would be would be a smart plan because of all the things you mentioned. Eflin, Eflin Eflin's injury, I think, is a concern. Like, I really am not sure how much time he's going to miss. And then when he comes back, is he as good as he's been at his best? I think. I think last year, going into the season, the Phillies they kind of they kind of decided that. Eflin was like this super reliable, like almost ace level pitcher. That's the way they were talking about him going into the season. And it's just like, he wasn't that. And he dealt with injuries and he was really good at times, but he's not, he's not like an ace level pitcher. And then when he's going to miss time um, and you don't exactly know how he's going to be after injury, not having some kind of insurance on him in, in the form of another pitcher that you get either through free agency or through trade like that's really really risky I would say Kyle Gibson I don't think is a lock to be as good as he was overall last season he wasn't that good once he was traded had a couple good outings but overall wasn't wasn't amazing so yeah I think this is a pretty pretty solid prediction I think it's actually pretty reasonable to be skeptical that they can match like the the output they got from the rotation last year. I think all three of us put Rich Hill in our ideal slash mock off seasons. I still think obviously that's not going to happen now because he already signed with I think Boston, but I think that would have been a smart move to make. And then I think about Zach Eflin when like what he is, is he's probably a really high end number three. And people are talking about him like he's closer to an ace than a number five. And I think like that's true, but I don't think he's that close to either personally. And I think there's there's definitely value in having a high-end number three or even a low-end number two kind of guy. The question is, can he, you know, pitch regularly without getting hurt uh, as often as he has in the past? And if that's a question mark this year, like it has been in, in years past, like there's just one spot that they're going to have to fill right there. And then when you factor in how many innings Wheeler threw last year, guys that might struggle, other guys that'll naturally get hurt. Cause that's just what happens over the course of a season, especially to a starting pitcher. There are concerns there. 
Yeah, I was drinking the Zac Efron Kool-Aid last year, I gotta admit. But I, I was, was too. No, I was too. I was I I totally was too. And I like I said, I, I think he's fine. I think he's like he's a he's a he's a good pitcher. You just need him out there. And this team's gonna need him out there, especially this year. Yeah, there's yeah, nothing that's... wrong with a pitcher that go ahead, Ty. Yeah, no, I I was just gonna say like I kind of bought in at the beginning of last season. It's just the way they talked about it. I'm like, oh, we have like three ace-level pitchers. And it's like, oh, sure, they do. And Eflin's really good. But then you look at it, it's like, well, he's never really been quite that outside of like June 2018, maybe. I mean, the last time we we everybody bought into this unproven pitcher is going to be an ace this year, you all know who it was. <laughs> Mick Pavetta. He broke out. He broke out. Yeah, last year. come on. He did. Big playoff yeah. moment. Yeah, it just didn't happen with the with the Phillies. And obviously, Zach Eflin's <laughs> 2021 season was better than uh Pavetta's was that 2019 so like it wasn't like he was a complete disaster like far far from it but yeah I don't know maybe for the future we know that we just need to see it first anybody Destiny do you have any other bold predictions that you want to want to get out for everybody yeah so this is something that I wrote about on Phillies Nation a few weeks ago um a lot of and I, I understand people that don't agree with me because it seems like every year is, well, Reese Austin's going to break out. Reese Austin's going to do that, whatever. And then he ends up being very good, but he also gets into these very long slumps that kind of um, hurt his numbers. But I really do think this is the year that Reese Hoskin, Hoskins is going to be more than just that underrated guy. He's going to be a top 20 hitter in baseball. I think he's going to finish with a OPS over 900. Um, I'm hoping that he has more injury luck. You know, 2020, that injury was a fluke. And then 2021, it was really unfortunate what happened with the groin and then the abdomen. Um, but he's played full season before. So I think he's not, he shouldn't get that injury prone label. Um, and just in general of Reese Hoskins, he's gotten better every single year. And this year he's cut down a little bit on the walks and he's, he has this better idea of what pitch do I need to swing at? Because I think he has a good understanding of what his role is on this team. He's this number four hitter. And sometimes they need him to draw a walk and get on base, but they need him to drive in runs. And he tried to do that this year and he had a lot of success. And then, but he also sometimes had that over 30 slump. And with Kevin Long coming in, a lot of people are talking about how he can improve DD and Alec, but I also think he can make strides with Reese Hoskins. Um, when he gets into those slumps, he tends to, try to drive the ball the other way with fly balls. And it's just a disastrous approach because he's very good at pulling the ball and getting the ball out of the ballpark. And also I think he could stand to hit a few more line drives the other way into the gap um, and make him more of a dangerous hitter. Um, and I, I talked about it in the story. I think Kevin Long set, he kind of set when he, you, I don't know how to explain it, but, when Bryce Harper was going through his slump in 2018, he pretty much told Bryce, we need to work on hitting these boring line drives. And because Bryce Harper was in this mindset that he needs a launch angle approach and hit more home runs, but that really wasn't working for him. Um, and Reese Hoskins is a home run guy. So I, I don't think Kevin Long is going to get him away from his strengths, but I think he's going to refine some parts of his swing and it's going to really pay off for him. At first, I wanted to say that he was going to finish in top 10 in MVP voting, but the way MVP voting goes, there's a lot of um, 
a lot of weird choices at the back end of ballots. So I don't want to tie that to Reese Hoskins' season, but I think he's going to be really good this year. I think he's going to be, doesn't matter who they sign, he's going to be the second best hitter behind Bryce Harper. Yeah, the MVP voting this year was uh, interesting to say the least, yeah. but I agree. I agree with all of that for all the reasons that you said. I had a, a Reese Hoskins take of my own. It's pretty, you know, along the same lines, but I said he finished his top three in the National League in uh, home runs. And okay, 2021 Reese Hoskins was super weird. Like, I didn't see any of that coming from Reese Hoskins at all. Like, the whole rarely walks kind of thing he was he's the last guy that I would have predicted to have the kind of year that he did but I don't think it was a bad Reese Hoskins like I think that version of Reese Hoskins is fine and I think especially next year when they probably have somebody else that can be a high on base guy Kyle Schwarber question mark like he's he's not going to be counted upon as much probably to be you know a heavy just reach base get on base kind of guy especially if he's hitting behind Bryce Harper for the entire season and that can allow him to focus more on I don't know, taking a Joey Votto, Salvador Perez kind of, uh, you know, approach, which is just hit a bunch of bombs. And I think he could totally do that. So, yeah, I think I I, he, I would agree. He'll, he'll be a top 20 hitter in the major leagues. I think, you know, top 10 MVP voting, like you said, is always a crapshoot because you don't know how people are going to vote. But I think he could definitely be a top 10, like objectively most productive player. Maybe they should rename it to the objectively most productive player uh, uh I don't know, trophy or something like that. But yeah, I think he'll have a solid year. I think, you know, whether he goes back to the walk a lot, Reese Hoskins, it, I don't really think that like it matters a whole lot either way. Like I, I think he'll be a productive player either way. Uh, and I think it's going to help the team a lot this year. It's two seasons in a row now, the last two years that Reese Hoskins gets injured in the field. It kind of, you know, it aligns with the Phillies downfall for that season. Uh, this past season, 2021, they didn't really hit after he went down because you can just see how important he is to that offense. I know it wasn't it wasn't a full season in 2017 when he came up, but when he when he was promoted as a rookie in 2017, the tear he went on was seriously among the best we've seen in, in recent memory from a rookie. He was hitting like one of the best players in baseball. Uh, from the time that he was called up. I don't know if he can match that. It'd be tough to match that, the pace he was on. But I do think he can take another another step and become one of the the best hitters in baseball. I don't know if it's a lock, but I do like the like the prediction because he is a he's a he's a really good hitter when he's locked in. If he can, you know, not have as many of the slumps and have more of the more of the stretches where he's hitting home runs seemingly every game in a series, like, that'd be huge for the Phillies. And that's part of why Kevin Long's arrival in Philadelphia is really going to help Reese Hoskins. He's known as a guy that could just snap dudes out of a slump quickly. So if he could turn that over 30 into an over 15, it's going to help his numbers a lot. There's going to be, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not going to slump anymore. He's always going to be prone to slumps, but if you could minimize that and also get him to be more productive and have times where he's just not a complete non-factor. I think that's really going to help both the Phillies and Reese Hoskins. I mean, maybe with him, you could even have a sort of situation where like he flips the switch between the two types of Reese Hoskins that we've seen, like the one who hits a bunch of bombs. And then when he's not hitting well, maybe he, you know, steps back into that old super patient, draw a ton of walks until this thing just like passes over and then he can get back to hitting super well again. And I think, 
you know, if you're hitting homers and drawing walks when you need to, like not much better for your OPS in terms of, you know, how to get that number up. So yeah, like if he can find a way to like flip that switch somehow, it's obviously hard to like assume the role of two different hitters with two different mindsets and approaches on and off throughout the whole season. But if like he and Kevin Long can figure out how to make that happen to, as you said, minimize those periods where he's not really hitting super well, the sky's the limit. I, yeah, definitely. All right. Can I, can I go into one of my other predictions for 2022 right now? I yeah, think this is probably, probably my favorite of my predictions because I think it's the funniest, but I think, Ronald Torres will be back on the Phillies in 2022. He was really clutch for them last year. I used to not believe in like clutch stuff like that. I used to buy into the analytics people telling me clutch doesn't exist. But then I saw Ronald Torres' 2021 season and I decided, you know, some people, they just are clutch. You think of all the moments he had. Who was it against late in the season? Was it the Pirates, that pinch hit home run that they had in, in a comeback? I think it was the Pirates. And he almost had an inside the park grand slam, I think in Washington. I think it was a basis clearing triple. Dusty Wathen held him. He would have had an inside the park grand slam. I remember that moment. There's so many moments of Torres coming up big for the Phillies. They had an awful infield defense last year, and he was able to fill in at shortstop at third, play, third base, play good defense. I don't see anyone giving Ronald Torres a major league contract, probably if you just look at the overall numbers, because overall he's not a great hitter or wasn't last season. But I think if he doesn't get a major league deal, the Phillies will bring him back on a minor league contract. Girardi really likes him. And I think that even if he doesn't crack the major league roster, he'll stick around in triple a. And at some point he'll be back up with the Phillies. I, I think that is close to a lock. Like I just have a feeling he's going to be back with the Phillies. Yeah, I think Johan Camargo getting that deal right before the lockout makes it less likely that Torres will be back on the teams, but that doesn't completely rule out Torres just because, like you said, the Phillies are probably one of a handful of teams he's willing to sign a minor league deal, wait in Triple A, because he knows that Girardi is going to call him back up at some point. I just hope if Torres is on the team that he's not used as often as he was because it seems like he was a more enjoyable player when he was used in spurts and had these like great moments out of nowhere. And then he just ended up becoming a regular and he was overexposed. Um, So if he's just that bench guy that could come in and get a big hit occasionally, it's fine by me. If, if he, if he doesn't have to play all the time, I guess that means that DD Gregorius and Alec Bohm are playing much better than they did last year, which I think would serve the Phillies well also. Or Bryson Stott is doing well. Yeah. What yeah, one, of, was, one of those combinations? Yeah, I was I was thinking Bryson Stott, whatever his role is going to be, is going to complicate that um matter a little bit more. And we can talk a little bit about Stott later, but I think it seems like infield depth for this team is like not a huge issue right now. I mean, that's just like looking at what they have on the roster now and what they're probably going to do in the future. Like it seems like they have a pretty solid group there. Maybe he could still, you know play his way into that, you know, type of, you know, play in a pinch here and there and provide these little moments like uh, 
I mean, they always talk about how he's a baseball player and we like having baseball players on this team who just know how to prepare and are ready to play baseball all the he's time. He's such a baseball player. He's yeah, such a baseball player. He's a he's a guy that that'll be a dude for, you know, this team every now and then. So there's, like there's yeah, there's value in that. Um, you know, I think some of the some of the better teams have that kind of guy. And I think he could definitely fill that niche. But you just look at the at the infield picture right now. It seems pretty crowded, at least now. Um, maybe that changes. I don't know. But I could I could see it happening. I guess you, you think they have Luke Williams, they have Nick Maton, they have Bryson Stott maybe coming up this season at some point. It is a little crowded, but at the same time, would you want to have a season for Mayton like last year where he's kind of bouncing up and down when he was pretty good when they had some open plate appearances for him at, uh, you know, early in the season for a stretch. But then by the end, it's kind of just bouncing up and down. He's not really getting regular time anywhere. I think they did that with some players last year and the players seem to not like it that much. And it didn't really do anything for their development. I think at that point you have to make an evaluation on your players. Is Nick Maton a future regular? And if maybe he is, he's just going to be a triple a player and getting at bats or do you decide he is just a bench guy. And then you don't need somebody like Ronald Torres. He can be that guy for you. It's going to depend on some of their self-evaluation. I would think. Yeah. And I just don't know if they see, a guy like Nick Maton being a future regular. I mean, I think we saw in flashes last year that, you know, he could be a nice, like super utility kind of guy. Uh, but I think the ceiling for him is only so high offensively. Like I, I, I think he's a, he's a nice piece, but I don't think they're going to view him. Like we absolutely have to make sure he gets his reps in AAA because he's an integral part of our future. Like, I just don't see that happening with him. Um, so I don't know, maybe they are willing to bounce him around. Maybe I'm totally wrong. And maybe they see him as, I don't know, a trade chip and therefore they want to get him some more at bats in, you know, the minor leagues or something like that. But yeah, I think all, all of that kind of plays into what we see out of, uh, Tereus and maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they are okay with, um, you know, keeping a guy like Maton down in the minors for an extended period. And therefore it opens up a spot for a guy like him. So I, I just, you know, it all depends on how they see these guys for the long term. And also, I think the, the a lot of the problem wasn't just that they were bouncing them up and down between the different, you know, spots. But it was that when they called him up to the major leagues, they weren't playing. I mean, like Mickey Moniak would get, would get called up and he'd sit on the bench for two weeks and then get set back down or a week or however long it might be. That seemed like, you know, mismanagement of those players. And if they're going to do that again, it's probably going to stunt their growth in some aspects. But if when they call them up to fill these roles and they actually play them, I think there's value there. And I think it's something that they probably won't be too hesitant to to do, depending on who the guy is. Yeah. I think we're going to see more of the same this year because the precedent with Girardi is that he prefers experience. So he's going to play to Reyes over Maton or Williams. And that's probably not good. Like you said, not for their growth, but um, I don't see Girardi changing his mind on a lot of these guys, so they're probably going to have to go up and down again. And as, I think with someone like Stott, his mindset is going to be, if he's going to be here, he's got to play every day. Um, they don't want him sitting on the bench. But with guys like Maton and Williams, that's a different story. Yeah. Well, we mentioned some of those guys like Stott, Moniak. Do we want to maybe get into some of our, our Twitter followers' predictions? that they submitted to us. Does that sound good? 
Let's do it. All right. So let's start with let's start with Carl. He says Bryson Stott will be NL Rookie of the Year. Aaron Nola will be back to his old form. I think we all probably agree that Aaron Nola will be better than this year. So I think Stott is the one that we should really break down really quickly. What do we think? Bryson Stott, NL Rookie of the Year. I mean, it just depends on whether the role is big enough for him. Like in terms of production and average stats and things like that, I think he could, you know, maybe be that kind of hitter. We saw what he did in the Arizona Fall League and in AAA last year. Like the dude can rake. The question is, will he be playing enough? Like when you have Gene probably playing second for most of the season, whatever they do at short, I, I'm kind of inclined to think that he won't start the season as the opening day starting shortstop. I think I said like exactly the opposite of that a couple of weeks ago, Ty, but I, I, I don't know. It just, it just feels at this point, like they're going to do something else there. And then he maybe doesn't get called up until some point in the middle of the season. And then what's his role there? Like you said, he'll probably be starting every day once he gets the call, but I just don't know if he's going to have the regular at bats to the point where he could be a rookie of the year kind of guy. I think he'll, he can make the impact, you know, in a, in a short term to where you can say, wow, this has like been one of the most, you know, impactful players on the team this season, but will it be enough to get, you know, rookie of the year consideration? I don't know if he becomes a full-time starter by May, I could see it. I just don't know if that's going to happen. I, I don't yeah. think I see see that kind of season coming from him, even if he is the full-time starter. Rookie of the year, like, that's a pretty big jump. I think he could be, like, a solid starter if if Didi's really struggling at the start of the year and they decide to go with Stott. I think he could be a solid starter at shortstop, especially given some of the leaps that we've seen from him over the last year, especially getting better at shortstop, getting better at driving the ball, getting on base. Like he was really impressive in the minors and the Arizona Fall League this year. And I don't think before last year, I would have thought that Stott would be capable of being a solid starter in 2022 at shortstop. But I think I've changed my mind on that. I think he could, I think he could handle it, be like just a solid starter, slightly below average to average kind of infielder. Um, I don't know if that means rookie of the year. Somebody will probably outmatch him but I I don't know if he gets if he gets a look I think he would I don't think he would you know not be capable of it like a lot of the other players who are out like who are not on the 40-man roster but who are expected to debut at some point in 2022 I think stock could benefit from the lockout you know Kevin Long can't go to his player's house and start working with them but he could go to to see Bryson Stott and possibly work on him and spend some more time with him before the season. Same with Bobby Dickerson. So I think he could benefit from that. Honestly, I'm never really informed on who are the expected rookie of the year candidates are going into a year. So I can't say if he is, he could be up for that award, but I think he could have a solid year for the Phillies. So we'll move on from that one. We'll go into some of these other predictions. Give me one second. Someone says Mickey Moniak will win the starting center fielder job and he will have a good, not great season. What do you guys think of that while I check who commented that? I don't think he's going to have a chance to win the starting center fielder job. So, I mean, Dave Dombrowski said at the GM meetings that he's not counting on Hazley or um, Moniak to 
be part of that mix. So, and he didn't really get the chance last year, even if, you know, having a good spring training, maybe if he was a little bit better in April, he would have a few more chances, but I, I don't think Moniac is a guy that's going to be given that chance to even try to be a good center fielder for the Philly this year. I, I think it's way more likely that he gets traded before the season even starts. Yeah, I agree. I think that was from Joe, by the way, from Joe. Thank you, Joe. I think there are two parts to this question. One is that does he win the starting center fielder job? And two is given that he does play, let's just assume for the thought experiment purposes that he does play. Will he have a good, not great season? And I think that part, part two is probably more likely. We were talking uh, just a few minutes ago about what a good season from him is it's probably something like he hits 260 with the 790 OPS or something like that. Uh, Ty, you're saying one year of the minors, he had, you know, a line that was around that kind of ballpark. And if he does that in the major leagues, obviously you would probably take that if he's in that role. The question is, and I, I would agree that he's probably not going to have a chance to win that job. I mean, I don't even think there'd be an open competition for that job. They're probably going to do something externally where it's, this is pretty much the, the guy. I think if they don't do that, uh, there's a pretty serious hole there. And I think if you were to plug him in there and say he gives you a 790 OPS kind of season, I don't think you take that necessarily. I mean, unless he plays gold glove defense, which I don't you know, think is probably going to happen. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think if he does play, he could maybe, he kind of has these hot streaks, whatever level he might be in, that could carry him to a somewhat decent year, uh, especially when the bar is not like, super high obviously but i don't i also agree that i don't think he's going to have that opportunity in the first place yeah i want to see him if you think even some of the in-house candidates like is he going to win a job over matt veerling after what he showed last year i would say probably not all right moving on let's go to two more of these twitter submissions adam and jim both say that the season will not start well Jim says the season won't start until June because of the lockout. Adam says the replacement players will be so bad for the Phillies team. And when the CBA is finally signed in June, uh, the Phillies won't be able to get out of the rut that the replacement players put themselves in. Um, I, I don't think that one's going to happen. That leads into my last bold prediction. I know we're in this lockout. It doesn't look good right now. But it's in neither side's interest to miss games. Maybe spring training is delayed by a little bit. I think we're going to get into February, and I think there's going to be a lot of rapid movement towards a CBA somewhere around there. Maybe spring training doesn't get off right on time. But I do not, my prediction, they will not miss games in 2022, regular season major league games. Yeah, I have a lot of confidence in that the season will start on time. There's just too much to lose on either side. And I know the owners seem like a group of people that like sabotaging their own sport. But at some point, there's going to be pressure to get a deal done. And that'll happen. And I know um, since not a lot is happening, it, it feels like what we are hearing is that it's bad. And we already know that it's bad, but it's going to be it's going to feel even worse because the media has to say something and we have to feel if it like you have to feel that it's even worse, but in reality, there wasn't, there probably wasn't going to be a lot of movement in January. Um, And I'll probably start near the end of the month when that next pressure point of February 1st is coming. Um, So 
I know for baseball fans, it's really tough right now. And it seems like the pathway to a deal is impossible, but something will get done. Um, as far as like scab players, like I, I need to do more info, like do more research on this, but I don't think, I don't know if it's, if it's impossible for there to be scab players, but I do know if that were to happen, it would be very unpopular. Um, people won't go to the games. People won't watch the games. So um, you don't have to worry about scab players on the Phillies. It was, it was such a disaster in 1994. They were about to start the season with replacement players in 1995. And like, it was just such a disaster. They, they, they would not try that again. I don't think, well, you never know with, major league baseball owners, I guess, but I would be pretty shocked if they were to, to try that. Cause everybody knows like the product is, is the players. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if they have such a big group um, to go in as replacement players as they did in 1995 either. Yeah. They're playing with fire. If they're thinking about doing that because people are in this like social media age and this age of where unions are and like how people react to these things baseball doesn't want to play that game. So they should just cancel spring training if they don't have a deal. But I think in the end, we're going to get a full season of baseball. And I think that's all that matters. Yeah. And it's different because it's a lockout. Like the, like the players aren't the ones withholding their labor right now. MLB. It's not like last year because the owners didn't want to play or at least like a big part of the ownership group just didn't want to play at all. And everybody wants to play now. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think that they will be missing regular season games. I, I do want to say one thing about the timeline for getting a deal done. I agree that they probably won't miss any games, but I think from the player's perspective right now, like they really want to get this right. And I don't think they're going to rush to anything that's going to you know represent them not getting it right. Like you saw in t- uh, 2016, like they came out on the losing end of that. And they don't want that to happen yet again this year. And also this is a group that cares a lot about the optics, right? Like last year when they were trying to play through the whole COVID thing, or I guess 2020, um, they, they had an offer earlier in the off season to play more games and probably earn more, but they were going to get less of a share from the league. And then they, they, they turned that down because they wanted like full hundred percent prorated salaries. And they ended up playing later and making less money than they would have, if they had accepted one of those earlier offers, but the thing was they had been told that they would earn 100% prorated salaries and then they wanted to stick with that. So it ended up costing them like financially in the long term. But they came out, quote unquote, on the winning end of the whole prorated contract thing. And I think that's, you know, kind of like emblematic of the of the approach that this group has, which is like they don't want to get totally blown out of the water by this next agreement. And they're going to do what they have to do to get it right. And if that takes some time cuts into spring training, cuts into the season. Like, I don't think that that's something that they are steadfastly, you know, against doing. I think this is like, this is a pivotal moment for them. And I think that they're going to take whatever time they need to get it done. There's probably going to be some pressure, you know, internally, externally to get something done before the season starts. But if they're not getting it right, if they don't have what they want, like I could see them waiting it out. No, I agree that I don't think they care you mentioned optics. I don't think it's really optics. They care about like winning the, the no, yeah, for sure. or getting for sure. like getting what they deem their fair share or whatever, however you would say it. 
they I think they don't care about the optics and the public. Like they've been like demonized enough and like they just don't really care. You think about it in 1995, all the players strike, people get upset. The players do not care. Like that that's they don't they don't care that the way that people are going to talk about it is always like these greedy players. And I think they're just able to kind of deal with that. And they're going to, they're going to hold their ground, I think. And they would be, it's not that they want to miss games, but I think they would be willing to push it more that, that MLB side would, they don't want to miss games either. So they would have to kind of make some concessions a little bit closer to the season. Right. Exactly. My, my, my point is like, I don't think they're going to cave. I don't think it's going to be, you know, end of March or February start spring training on time. And they're going to say, Oh my God, we have to get back on the field right now. Let's just give in. Like, that's not something that this group's going to do. I agree. I think it would be closer to not exactly MLB owners caving in, but giving more concessions than they would have hoped to. Yeah. Question and is, will they do that? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I do think so. It's not going to be, it's not going to be exactly what the players want. It's, it's not going to be, this perfect path to free agency after however many years and, and maybe arbitration, not completely revamped or whatever. But I do think that there are going to be tangible changes in this CBA. And I think MLB is kind of, I think they have to know that like, they're going to have to give, like, it's not just going to be the same thing in this next CBA. It's just kind of how, kind of how things are, are changing. Like destiny said, like this current state, social media, how unions are um, kind of gaining more support like they used to be, like it's happening again in this past year. I, it's just kind of different than 2016. All right. Anybody else have any bold predictions that we did not touch on from either of you two? Uh, one thing, this is a little bit random, um, but I think the most likely center fielder is Kevin Kiermeyer, and this isn't like the bold prediction. But last year there was a play with Randy Rosarino where Kiermeyer just ran to a ball that was obviously supposed to be caught by Rosarino, and like pretty much cut him off and then threw it to home plate. And he like Rosarino was obviously very upset that that happened. And Kiermeyer, his whole thing was like, "Well, I think I'm the best defensive outfielder in the league." Um, and that's why I wanted to make that play. I feel like if Kiermaier is the guy, there's going to be a play like that next year with Bryce Harper. Like he's going to run all the way to like right field or even with if Schwarber's in left field, he's going to run all the way there and then he's going to like get the ball. And it's going to be both really funny and really embarrassing. And the media is going to have like a, a circus with it. Um, I just think that's one random thing that's going to happen this year. Is that like Kiermaier is going to like, do this one thing where he's doing way too much and people are going to find it really funny. Yeah. Jankowski did that it. in August. Jankowski did that to Harper in August. I, I didn't remember, remember that. I, yeah. I only remember cause I tweeted like Travis Kelly leak Jankowski, like from the bad news bears. <laughs> cause he, he completely cut him off. I think that when that happens, people are definitely going to, you know, laugh at it or do what they will about it or make a big fuss about it. But then also they're going to take a step back and be like, oh, this team has one of the best defensive players in baseball in center field. And there's going to be some appreciation for that. And I think it'll kind of boil over from there. Or you Yeah, know, I, I wouldn't mind him doing there. that because Harper's back could tweak up at any point. Um, I know yeah. Kiermaier deals with injuries, but 
you know, if he's a guy that can make the play, there probably isn't a lot to complain about in theory, but it's going to be, oh, like, do they have chemistry or whatnot? Um, And it's going to look funny, but I think that's something that could happen this year. Especially if it's in left field with Kyle Schwarber. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like that prediction. That's a good one. I also think it's probably a good good one to wrap up on a, a fun one. Yeah. Unless unless either of you have any any other anything you can top it with, something more bold. Uh well we had one more from Bob, third in the NL East. I don't know if we really want to like I, I buy it. I can I say it. Third, <laughs> third on paper. They yeah. Are. Maybe the Marlins are. are a little bit better. Marlins rotation. It's gonna be gonna be good. No, I, I that's probably probably what they are right now, third best in the NL East. We'll have to see if they, they make the jump. I think that's will where we will wrap it up. 2022 predictions. Let us know what you think of them. If you agree, disagree, or if you have any other predictions of your own. Everyone, thank you for listening. Destiny, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next time.